Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Nick Anderson Fitness Podcast. It has been a little while since we've released a new episode, so I'm super excited to get back to it. Took a little hiatus in December. Um, I still have been podcasting, so if you have not heard it yet, I am also co-hosting the Donuts and Dumbbells podcast with my good friend, Brooke Madigan. So if you haven't heard that yet, go ahead and listen to that because we have had some absolutely fire episodes over the last month or so. So go listen to that. But for now, we are here on the Nick Anderson Fitness Podcast. Uh, this, This podcast will be returning back regularly, so super excited for that. So today's episode will be a recap of my second powerlifting meet. So um, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to everyone who has listened to my episode on my first powerlifting meet. I honestly wasn't expecting there to be that much positive feedback on that, but it actually is one of my most played episodes. Uh, So I'm really happy about that. Really happy that you guys actually take an interest in stuff that's going on in my life, in my training. I know I spend a lot of time talking about what you can do to improve your health, and there will be some of that in that this episode as well. Um, but I just want to take the time and say thank you to everyone who listens and cares. So it means a lot to me. So I don't want to get too much into the pre-meet training for this episode. Um, I do want to touch on it a little bit because obviously it's important how you train for your powerlifting meet is important for how you actually perform on the platform. So if you remember my last episode, I had talked about how I had a lot of problems with my lower back leading up to the meet. It was um, during my sixth week of training or so. I had that flare-up of my SI joint, and it really kind of messed with my training going forward. It it took a lot of confidence away from my deadlift. Um, That is not really a problem that I had this time around. Thankfully, I didn't have any problems with injuries or anything like that. So that was great. I definitely did have some kinds of struggles with technique through training. For squats, it was consistently getting low enough in my squat for it to count in competition. So in powerlifting, you have to get your hip crease below your knee. So that means you have to squat a little bit below parallel for your squat to count. And this was kind of a struggle for me. So it's definitely something that we hammered. Um, Natalie, my coach, has been great at helping me consistently reach squat depth. We did a lot of um, pin squats, which is huge for hitting squat depth because it gives you a target to hit. So basically how it works is you set the safety pins at the bottom of your squat. And once you hit the bottom of your squat, the bar is resting on the pins and then you power out of the hole from that rested position. So that kind of takes the fear out of not being able to get back up out of the squat once you hit the pins, because worst case scenario, bar is already on the pins. And in my deadlift over the last couple weeks, I was having trouble getting my positioning right. Um, I was pulling pretty much mainly with my entire posterior chain, so all the muscles in your back and the back of your legs. Now, while the deadlift is primarily a posterior chain exercise, it doesn't mean that some of your other muscles aren't involved and should should they should get involved. So I have very strong quads and 
if I bring my knees forward more in the deadlift, I can get my quads a lot more active to help me out in the deadlift. And this wasn't something that I was doing a great job of doing. Um, even even on the day of the competition, still looked pretty posterior chain dominant. But you know, it was a big improvement from what happened in training. And I know I said I wasn't going to talk about training too much, but I just realized that I lied because there is something that I really wanted to talk about in training and something that I learned between meet number one and meet number two. And that is that every single session does not need to be and should not be a max effort session. I think when people on the outside of powerlifting look in on powerlifters and they assume that, first of all, they assume that we're in the gym all the time. Like we just spend hours upon hours upon hours in the gym, which is flat out not true. Because if we did that, we would not be able to recover for our workouts and we would bomb out on the platform every single time. So for me, I spend four days a week in the gym, usually about an hour. Sometimes it stretches out to an hour and a half just because I take my sweet ass time. But if I really am on a time crunch, I can get shit done in an hour. And the second thing people assume is that we are just working our asses off every single time in the gym, lifting maximum weight for every single session, trying to PR for every single session. And that is just not true because... For the same reasons, you would not be able to recover and you would bomb out on the platform. I did have my coach, Natalie, on the podcast a while back. Uh, this, If you want to go back and listen to this, this is episode 46. And I remember her talking on the podcast about how you get the meat that you train for. And she talked a lot about how if you are trying to hit that number every time, your, your platform numbers just aren't going to be as good. And I didn't really understand that at the time. I think I did, but I didn't, if that makes sense. What I mean is that it made sense, but I don't think in my own training I internalized it. And what happened for me to make me actually internalize it was as I was getting certified as a USPA powerlifting coach, and reading more books about powerlifting and trying to understand as much as I possibly could so that I could be a better lifter, I learned about something that is called max recoverable volume. That is basically how much training volume you can recover from without having adverse effects on how fatigued you are. Because if you go into your next training session after you've exceeded your max recoverable volume, you're going to be to a point where your not only your body, but your central nervous system is going to be too fatigued to actually make progress from where you are. And hey, guess who learned that the hard way training for his first powerlifting meet? This guy who fucked up his SI joint by doing too much volume and not being able to recover from it, but continuing to push myself. So since this is important, I want to give a full definition on max recoverable volume as I've learned it. So I'm going to be quoting here from the book Scientific Principles of Strength Training. 
The maximum recoverable volume of a time period is the maximum tolerable training volume of the body, such that any lower volumes are not maximally overloading and any higher volumes lead to a decrease in performance. And part of the key there is that decrease in performance at higher volumes than, than the max recoverable. But you also want to be at a place where you're not well under because you want to be making new adaptations to your body. So throughout the course of a month's training, at say the beginning of your, your month of training, you should be far lower than your maximum recoverable volume. And as you progress throughout that month, you should get closer and closer to that until your final week of your training block where you actually want to exceed that recoverable volume so that you can then take a deload week. And for those who don't know what a deload week is, it is basically you just back off on your training. You go maybe 50, 60, 65% of your maxes. Um, so that your body has a chance to recover while still being able to go through the movements, work on technique, work on general fitness, that kind of thing. So I'd say that was the biggest thing that I learned from from last meet to this meet, and I think why I was so much more successful throughout this meet. So in the beginning, I said I was not going to go on training too much, so we've spent about nine minutes on training, and not too bad. So I want to move on from here. So the next thing that I want to talk about and it's kind of the thing that I was most excited to talk about on this podcast, ironically enough, because it was the thing I was least excited to do, and it was kind of a miserable experience, uh, was doing a water cut for the first time. So a water cut is where you, you manipulate the amount of water that is in your body. So when you step on the scale for a weigh-in day, it's as low as it possibly can be because I was trying to compete in a different weight class. Last me, I compete, I competed in the 90 kilogram weight class. This time I competed in the 82.5 kilogram weight class, which that is just about a hair over or a hair under 182 pounds. So my actual weight leading up to the competition before I started the water cut was about 185, 186 pounds. So I had about four pounds of water to cut leading up to the competition. So let's talk about how I did that, what, what the process was like, how it was for my relationship with food, and all that good stuff. So basically the way it works is... For a few days leading up to reducing water, you drink a lot more water than normal and intake a lot more sodium than normal so that you, you're going to weigh a lot more leading up to it. So I was drinking two gallons of water for two days and I was also doing a shot of pickle juice to really increase my sodium intake. So what this does is leading up further, uh, you're going to take a big halt in water intake, but your body is going to excrete a lot more water uh, to put you in kind of a temporarily dehydrated state. So that's that's what I started with, was the two gallons of water and and the nasty shot of pickle juice. It actually wasn't that bad. I was expecting it to be a lot worse than it was. 
it wasn't pleasant by any means. I'm not going to go shooting pickle juice at any other point in my life besides doing this. So the only other time I've done a pickle juice shot is one that was immediately preceded by a whiskey shot. Uh, also something I don't really have too much interest in doing anymore either. So, so uh, one thing that was really fun, and by fun, you can hopefully detect the sarcasm in my voice because it wasn't really there, but uh, it, it's there, is you pee about every 12 minutes when you're drinking two gallons of water a day. And you know, I work in person as a personal trainer. We have 45-minute long sessions. So I was frequently having to excuse myself during sessions and kind of explain to my clients what was going on. And you know, most of my clients are general population they don't understand what or why a water cut is happening. Um, so I kind of had to have that conversation with them a little bit. Or in some cases where I knew that this might not be a good thing to talk about with certain clients, I held it. Like I held real tight for 45 minutes because I did not want to explain to certain clients how they can lose water weight, because that would probably sound really appealing to them. Now, I want to talk about this as well, because I, I guess we'll we'll get further into this into the podcast, but why this is not a sustainable solution to losing weight. And I think most of the people listening to this podcast, you know, there's a lot of longtime listeners here, you probably already know this, but Anytime that you're going to cut water weight, that's just something that's going to come right back. And if you've seen the title of this episode, you're going to be like, okay, I know where he's going with this. So so that was the big challenge for the first two days was the two gallons of water. And then the following day, or maybe it was the second day, I don't remember now, it might have been two gallons of water and then start to decrease carb intake because eating more carbs leads to more water retention. Carbs basically act like a sponge and soak up any water. And as you know, a wet sponge weighs more than a dry sponge. So as we're leading up to the water cut, that's something we need to reduce is carb intake. Now, before anyone starts overthinking this, it's not because carbs make you fat. It's just because carbs can contribute to a little bit more water weight in the moment. So for you listening at home, if you're really worried about the weight on the scale and the night before you ate a big meal that had a lot more carbs than you usually do and you step on the scale and you realize it's up two or three pounds, it's just because you have more water retention from the carbs that you ate. It's not because you gained any body fat overnight. And it's it, that's, that's really the only cause there. So as we get further into the water cut, as we get to the Wednesday, so weigh-in day was on Friday. So now we're on Wednesday, two days up to weigh-ins. So now is when things start to reduce a little bit. We go from two gallons of water to one gallon of water. And then carbs are absolutely as minimal as possible. I think looking back on that day, I got about 55 grams of carbs, which usually usually I'm at about 300 grams. So that was a big change. And um, you need to keep your food as bland as possible because any sodium, same reason that is going to increase water retention. So minimal carbs 
minimal salt and a gallon of water. Now, this is where things start to get a little bit harder because you don't get to eat good food. So basically for that day, I had like a couple protein shakes. I had some whole milk uh, because, you know, lots of fats, uh, lots of protein, still a little bit of carbs in whole milk. So that's probably where a lot of my, my tag along carbs came from. I ate a lot of eggs and, um, I also ate a lot of unsalted almonds, uh, because those, I could fill myself up with those, um, get a lot of, a lot of calories for not a lot going into my body, which in this case I wanted because I wanted to make sure I was getting enough calories so that I would have enough energy, which normally, under normal circumstances, I would do with lots of vegetables or so I could be able to get that volume eating in. But without being able to have carbs and also not really being able to have vegetables or fruits, it became more of a challenge. So unsalted almonds... Were, were my kind of cheat code to be able to get lots of calories in without having to eat a lot of food because the food was bland. And I just, I didn't want to eat because I didn't want to eat bland, unseasoned food, but that's what I had to do. Now for the final day, the day, well, I guess it isn't the final day, it's the Thursday. So still one more day till weigh-ins. Uh, we now reduce to a half gallon of water. So I've gone from two gallons to one gallon to a half gallon. Calories are going to stay a little bit lower. And same thing, less than 50 grams of carbs, as little salt as possible. So I kind of went the same route here, just like a bunch of unsalted almonds. Um, and I had some some unseasoned ground turkey with some cheese on it just to make it like feel like it had some flavor. That's pretty much all I ate for the entire day. I had two protein shakes. I had eight ounces of unseasoned ground turkey. I had two cups of milk and I had unsalted almonds. And then the other hard thing about Thursday was I was supposed to stop eating and drinking any water, any food, any anything by 6 p.m. So that's exactly what I did. And... For for this meet, I was traveling for it. So I live in Massachusetts. The meet was in New Jersey. It was about four and a half hours away. So we were driving and I needed to, to ration my water. And I had eaten so many unsalted almonds that they were starting to cut up the back of my throat. I still have a little scratch in the back of my throat. It's, it's been like a week now, and I still have that little scratch in the back of my throat because I wasn't able to get enough hydration with these dry-ass almonds. So I'm like, literally, I have to eat half of an almond at a time to be able to force it down my gullet. So that was a good time. Now, at this point, it's... I don't know, 6.30 on Thursday. We're driving through Connecticut. I'm getting really cranky. Uh, I'm annoyed. I just want to get there. I want to go sit in the hotel and go to sleep so that I can just wake up to be the next day. And I realized actually just before we left that I got an email from the meet director that was like, oh, um, if you're in the afternoon session, which I was, 
then we have to weigh you in later than you anticipated. So it was an extra like three hours. And then I immediately was like, no, like I just want to eat right when I step on the scale. And now it's an extra three hours. So like so much dread from that because I'm hungry. And, you know, for if, if, if you've heard this podcast before, you know that I've done a lot of restrictive dieting in the past. And this brought back a lot of those feelings for me. And I didn't like that for obvious reasons. You know, going into it, I was thinking like, oh, if I've done all that stuff in the past, you know, I did that kind of shit for basically 80 days. And this is just four days. I can do this. I want to do this. I want to have the experience so that I can have more of a competitive edge when I get onto the platform. And going through this experience, I'm not sure that it's something I want to do in the future. Uh, I'm glad I did the experience. And for me, I'm not, I'm not at a point in my powerlifting career where I am super competitive. I'm just starting to do this. I'm, a, I'm less than a year into powerlifting and did this give me an edge so that I could compete a little better? Sure, it did. Was it worth it? I don't know. That's a tough call. Yeah, I, I felt super restricted and bringing back a lot of those old feelings didn't really help my already damaged relationship with food. Now, I know I've recovered from a lot of that stuff over the years, but you know, dredging up those old feelings doesn't feel good, so... It, I don't know if it'll be something that I do in the future. Maybe as I get more competitive and more into my career, it'll be something that I'm more willing to do. But for next time that I compete, I don't think that this will be on on my list of things to do. Who knows? I may change my mind by then. I don't know. But right now, I don't think it's something that I want to do. So let's let's fast forward a little bit. I finally make it to weigh-in day. I get into the gym. I'm ready to weigh in. I'm ready to have my gear checked and all that stuff. And <laughs> and as I get in, uh, the meat directors are there at the table and they're ready to take my name. And they have this big breakfast in front of them and it smells so good. And I'm like, oh my God, I want to eat so bad. And they're like, oh, just a few more minutes. You know, you'll step on the scale soon. So finally stepped on the scale, weighed in at 81.5 kilograms, which is 179.9 pounds. Excuse me, 179.7 pounds. And I made my weight. I did what I needed to do. I succeeded the water cut, made weight, was super happy about that. So immediately, the first thing I do after walking out of the gym, go to my car and I chug a liter bottle of Pedialyte. I've never had Pedialyte until now. It's based, if you've never had it before, it's basically salty Gatorade. It's, it's like slightly salty Gatorade. It wasn't bad. Um, I hadn't had salt in two days, so I was kind of into it. <laughs> I don't think I'd be into it had I not gone through that, but, um, just helps replenish that hydration that I've been, that I'd been so lacking over the last couple of days. And then we immediately went to a diner next, right next door to the gym. And I had three of the biggest pancakes of my entire life. And all I had been thinking about for the 48 hours leading up to that 
was some carby goodness. So that's exactly what I had. I drowned those in syrup. Oh, man. By the end of that, like, I didn't want to finish it, but I knew that, like, the more carbs that I could eat at this point, since I've already weighed in, is going to now help my performance on the platform. Because with um, the USPA, United States Powerlifting Association, it is 24-hour weigh-ins from... You know, the moment you weigh in to the moment you lift is 24 hours. They do not do same-day weigh-ins. So you have a full 24 hours to fill your body with as much carbs, as much fuel as you possibly can so that you can perform better. So I've now had this immediate mindset shift of going from completely restricting carbs, completely restricting food, water, sodium, carbs, all that, to now get in as much carbs as you possibly can. Literally, my meat plan said you should feel very full by the end of the day, and it's going to be a struggle to get as much as you'd like to in. So I had to hit a minimum of 500 grams of carbs. So I started with that big ass breakfast of pancakes and looking back, I regret it (laughs) because I felt so full after those pancakes, but oh my God, they were so good. But it did take me a few hours to be able to actually eat anything again, which, um, you know, my plan was to be eating carbs every hour, be eating at least 50 to 100 grams of carbs an hour so that I can get in as much possible. So we get back from the diner. We get back to the hotel. I had brought my scale with me so that just in case I needed to take any further drastic measures to be able to make weight on weigh-in day, I would know that I could do it. Um, The morning of, I weighed in and I was 179 pounds on my scale. So I was like, cool, we're good to go. Um, So, you know, for fun. After we finished breakfast, I stepped on the scale. Literally an hour ago, I was 179 pounds. And now stepping on the scale, I was 186 pounds. So I had gained seven pounds over the course of an hour just by eating pancakes. Does that mean that I gained seven pounds of fat? No, absolutely not. It means that I ate pancakes. Now, throughout the course of the day, as I've said, I need to keep eating carbs. So um, every every hour or so, um, I'm having a granola bar. I'm having some Rice Krispies treats. I'm having some Gatorade. I had some Sour Patch Kids, all this good stuff, um, some grape juice, um, just stuff that I can get down really quick without feeling super full. Of course, by the end of the night, oh my God, I've never felt more full in my entire life. And this is coming from someone who has historically been known to binge eat. During my restrictive cycle, I would go through that restrict food, restrict food, restrict food, shovel shredded cheese into my mouth. And, you know, I, I would be at a point where I would just keep eating and eating even though my stomach was too full, but I didn't want to stop eating. I felt out of control. And that's like classic, like, disordered eating patterns, which I definitely had. So again, this was bringing up some disordered eating feelings that I used to have. 
um, you know, this is a very classic example and an extreme example of a binge and restrict cycle. I res- restricted for 48 hours on purpose and then binge ate on purpose. But the interesting parallel to doing it as part of a diet culture mindset versus now if we're doing it for competition is that I did it with intention and purpose. And doing it with intention and purpose, I didn't want to keep eating. I knew that I had to keep eating to improve my performance on the platform. So I kept doing it even though I was full. But previously, I would have kept eating even though I didn't want to, but I just wanted to taste the good food. The other thing that I learned through this is... Like I said, I have never felt more full in my entire life. Even while having these binge eating patterns in the past, I have never felt more full in my entire life. And for this day, I tracked my calories. I tracked everything that went into my mouth so that I knew that I could get enough carbs. I ended the day on 711 grams of carbs and 4,289 calories. Now, having felt super full in the past, I would think to myself without tracking, oh, I probably ate like 6,000 calories today. Now knowing what 4,289 calories feels like in my stomach, I know that I probably did not do as bad as I thought. So next time that you think that like, Oh, I ate. So, I just must have eaten six thousand calories today. You probably didn't. Now the difference here is that eating, binge eating in the past probably had more fatty foods, which go down a little easier. Um, it's not you know I'm not just like soaking my stomach up with pancakes. You know, the, having things with more fat is going to be more calorie dense. It's not going to make you feel as full. So that's kind of the difference maker there. But knowing that I had 4,000 calories in my stomach and felt like I was bursting at the seams, if you've ever seen that that scene in Monty Python and the Meaning of Life where he has that wafer-thin cracker and then it, uh, it literally makes the guy explode, that's what I felt like. So it's about 9 o'clock at night. I've just finished 711 grams, and I'm like, okay, I now need to step on the scale because I got to know. So I went from 179 pounds to 190 pounds. Now, over the course of less than 12 hours, actually, I gained 11 pounds on the scale. Again, I did not gain 11 pounds of fat. I probably had about 11 pounds of food in my stomach, 11 pounds of water, uh, a combination of food and water, salt, all that good stuff. And most people, when they step on the scale after seeing that, they will freak the fuck out and say, oh my God, I just gained so much weight. You You might step on the scale after having a big Christmas dinner. We just had Christmas, right? After having a several drinks out at New Year's Eve, you'll step on the scale and be like, I gained so much weight 
and I need to do all of these things to make up for it, or I need to now restrict my calories or restrict how much I eat so that I can get back to a normal point. Well, guess what I did not do is restrict anything. Meat day came. That was Saturday. And it was kind of the same thing. You eat a lot of carbs during the day. And when I woke up in the morning, I was back down to 186 pounds after, excuse me, after taking a big ass dump in the morning, I <laughs> I was down about four to five pounds. And a couple days later, I was back to my normal weight. It's It's now, what's today? Today is Wednesday. So it's four days after the meet. I'm back down to 186 pounds, right where I was. I didn't do anything differently. I just kept eating as normal. So anytime that you see that the scale has spiked up a lot, you don't have to make any drastic changes. You just need to get back on track to where you were. So that's my entire spiel about the water cut, about replenishing from the water cuts. And now we'll get into the meat day, which I have talked about on social media a little bit. So I actually don't think I'm going to talk about this one too much either. I'm definitely going to talk about it. Um, I also said I wasn't going to talk about my training at the beginning of the podcast. So who knows what will actually happen. My mind is all over the place sometimes. So let's talk about meat day. So I want to say first and foremost, the most stressful thing about this particular meat versus the last one was the warm-up area was packed. We were like sardines in a can in the warm-up area. Um, I think there were like 40 lifters or so for the second session, and it was a very, very small gym. We were all on top of each other, and you know there were heavyweights flying around. So that was a little stressful. So I was a little bit on edge throughout this one. Which is, a, which is a difference from last time. I mean, I guess it's not because I was very on edge last time too because it was my first one. I was super nervous about it. Um, and it was interesting because my anxiety level was high because of all the people that were there. So that kind of translated to stepping onto the platform. Uh, I was a lot more nervous than I thought I would be for each lift, not just my first one. Last time it was just... I felt like super anxious before the first squat. And this time I felt anxious before every single lift because there was just there were just so many people around. Um so on the day, on the on the meet day performance side of things, um PR'd pretty much everything. My my squat was 167.5 kilograms, which is 369 pounds. And last time it was 352 pounds. So quite a big difference there. Uh, my bench did stay the exact same as last time. I actually, I failed my third attempt on my bench. And the reason, well, there are two reasons for that. Actually, there are three, two to three, debatable. The first reason is my second attempt bench felt so good. It moved so fast. It felt amazing. So the way my meat plans are set up is I have three choices for my attempts. So I can either go with the safe bet, the like medium, or the risk. And for for my squat, I went with the, with the medium. 
after my bench flew, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to go for 231 pounds, 102.5 kilograms, 105, 105 kilograms, 231 pounds. And so the rules of powerlifting are for the bench press. As you descend into the bench press and the bar hits your chest, the bar has to remain motionless on your chest. And then the head judge will give you the press command. Once the judge sees that the bar is completely motionless on your chest, you get the press command. And if you jump the press command, you fail your bench press. So I didn't want to jump my command. So descended into the bench press and the bar sitting on my chest. And it feels like four seconds that the bar is on my chest before I finally get the press command. And as I try to press, nothing's happening. That bar is not moving at all. The spotters take it from me. Completely failed that. And, you know, I kind of got in the moment. I was like, what the fuck? Like, that that press command was so long. That pause was way too long. But if I actually look back at the video, the bar is kind of wobbling around in my chest a little bit. I do not have control of it once I hit my chest. So the three, two to arguably three reasons that I failed the bench press was one took too big of a risk that weight was too much for me at that point I was not ready for it two I did not control the bar so I get a long a long pause on my chest I got a long wait for the press command three it might have been a little bit too long of a pause um I don't think they were doing me any favors on the press command either but some of it is my own fault, so I will take accountability on that one. And let's finally jump over to the deadlift. Um, if you remember my previous podcast, by the way, if you haven't listened to the one about my first powerlifting meet, go back and listen to that. Um, it's it's a great episode. If you don't know, you know the rules of powerlifting and stuff like that, I give a big brief on that. So I don't want to go into that today because I don't want to repeat myself. I do like repeating myself sometimes, but in this case, I don't want to take up valuable time by doing that. When I've already talked about it, you can go back and listen to that. So on my previous previous meet, they had misloaded the bar to 407 pounds on my first attempt. It was supposed to be like 350. So they added an extra like 60 pounds to the bar. And I went up and went for it, almost got it, didn't get it. But it had just absolutely wrecked me. So we talk about we've talked about this earlier is max recoverable volume. I could not recover from that from that 407 because I, my body wasn't ready for that. I had exceeded on that one single attempt, and for the day, my body was just gassed. So going into this meet, first of all, I made damn sure that they had the right weight on the bar for every single attempt. I double triple checked. Um, the great thing about USPA was that I had to initial my attempts to be like, yes, this is what I want to do. So that it has my signature on it that says, yes, this is what I chose. Um, I don't remember if USAPL did that when I did that in my last meet. But any anyway, what I was really lacking from the last meet was that third attempt deadlift moment. Because I went for a weight that I probably would have gotten had that whole 407 fiasco not happened. But I couldn't 
couldn't get my last lift. This time, I did. Uh, my my first and second attempts were super easy. When it when it came time for choosing my third attempt, I went for the risk. I had a chip on my shoulder about four oh seven, so we went for four thirteen. Um, weight moved very nicely. Finally got my third attempt uh, success, and the the mental high that comes out of that is just unlike any other. You, you start moving the bar and the bar starts to move slowly and everyone in the crowd can see that it's moving slowly. So they all get really excited because they know it's going to be a grind through the lift. So everyone starts yelling and cheering for you. People that you've never met in your entire life are, are yelling up, up, up. And just, just, there's just so much energy in the crowd for that third attempt deadlift for everyone. It's, it's just, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. So I'm really glad that I got that experience. Um, can't wait to see what's going to happen next. So now that I've hit this meet, I, I now have a thousand pound total between all three lifts, which uh, which is a big milestone. Um, going forward into next next meets, I want to. So I have a couple goals. I want to number one, not not place last in my weight class. Because I did, I did place last in my weight class again this time. Though I did win a bronze medal because I was out of, I was three, I was out of three competitors in my weight class. So it felt nice to get a bronze medal, even though it was kind of, you know, by default. But next time, I one of my goals is to not place last in my weight class because that's something that for me it feels a little bit defeating. Um, one great thing that I kind of had this conversation with Natalie about, she was like, you've only been doing this for a year and it might take you several years to be able to compete at the same level as other people that have been doing this for eight years, 10 years, 12 years. You're not at their level yet and that's okay. It's okay to not be the best at things when you're just starting them. And, you know, I talk about that all the time, but, you know, internalizing it for yourself is a different thing, right? We all know that. But who knows? Maybe next meet, I will have grown to my total. I'll be able to lift more weight and hopefully not be last in my weight class. I would like to win one of these things at some point, but that may take several years and that's okay because I'm here for the ride. I'm here for the journey. I've been having a great time doing this. I have a great time training in the gym for it. I have a great time talking about it. I have a great time competing, even though I'm ending up in last place. It's a great time getting in there, getting into that environment, meeting new people. Um, it's it's awesome. So that's, that's goal number one. And goal number two is to get a qualifying total to be able to compete in the national competition. Now, one thing that's holding me back a little bit on that is that I know if I'm competing at the national level, I'm probably going to place last place. But that's okay because I will still get an amazing experience out of competing at that level, out of being around other competitors who are at that level. That's going to be awesome. So those are kind of the goals going forward into this. And uh, you know, another goal is to just get better at this. Get because something that I want to do is coach 
more powerlifters. I do, I currently coach one powerlifter. Um, if you don't know who she is, her name is Kate. She's fucking awesome. Shout out to Kate. And she is competing in her first meet this weekend. So I'm super excited to go with her to coach her through it and to see where her journey takes her in powerlifting. I'm probably going to have to have her on this podcast to talk about her powerlifting journey as well, because she started as someone who couldn't do a squat, who couldn't, who couldn't do a bench press, who couldn't do a deadlift. Her form sucked at first. And over the time that we've been working together, I think it's been a year and a half now, she's deadlifting 330 pounds from starting with a 12-pound kettlebell. So huge progress made there. And it's been so rewarding for me to to coach her and see her progress that I just want to coach more powerlifters. So, or especially like people who are just kind of like general gym goers and kind of already have a basis of like knowledge for being in the gym and now want to take that to the next level and just like get really strong in the squat bench and deadlift, whether they compete or not. I really want to use what I've learned to help coach more people to either get strong in those three lifts or to step onto the platform and compete. That's really what I'd like to do most is coach future first-time competitors. So if if powerlifting has been something that you've been thinking, hey, I might like to try this, I would love to coach you through your first meet because it has been such a rewarding experience for me and I know that it will be such a rewarding experience for you. So that is something that I have open currently right now is I am doing an intro to powerlifting course with people. It'll be a 12 to 16 week program for you to really hammer your technique, get your get your technique for squat, bench, and deadlift looking as efficient as possible or work on any accessory movements that might help with something that you're lacking. Like if you're lacking upper back strength and you know, you're kind of leaning over in your squat because you can't keep your upper back tight. We'll work on getting your upper back stronger, stuff like that. And just figure out how you can get onto the platform and have that amazing experience. So if that's something you're interested in, shoot me a message. I would love to chat with you. So that is it for today's podcast. I want to thank you all so much for listening. I want to thank you all so much for supporting me. And thank you to every single one of you who was there for me on meet day. You you all really, you mean the world to me. And I am so lucky to have you all as part of my team. So thank you for listening. And I will talk to you next time.